All right, so just for funsies, this is the creek I was baptized in. I like to show the kids. I have this sitting on my desk every week. So don't let me forget it here, but um, all right. So we've been talking about essential tenants and I was thinking not related to this week's topic. I'm not that tall, um, but there are a couple of things I wish I'd said at the very beginning which is like me every Sunday afternoon. Um, the first is that when we talk about essential tenets, the idea is that these are seven things that we in the Reformed tradition can all mostly agree on. The sovereignty of God, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk about the gift of creation. Okay. Um, in my humble opinion, I think one of the ways that our denomination has often gotten itself in trouble is by making decisions on things that weren't essential tenets, right? Um, but these are the things, doesn't mean the decisions were wrong. It's just that maybe shouldn't have been made for the whole group. <laughs> um, but these are the things that we all can find our agreement in. Um, and so I want to take a minute. And before we begin, let's start with prayer. Gracious and loving God, there is so much to our lives, the lives that you have given us in this world. And we remember on this day that you are the creator of all of it and that it was created out of your great love. And so we give you thanks and we ask that in our discussion and in our learning, we might grow closer to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about the gift of creation. And I think what I would like to do is start with how it has been developed over the years. And then we'll end with what do we agree on when we talk about creation, okay? So the first thing is we have to think about those things in our world that have um, changed how we view creation, okay? So for a very long time, the first creation account in particular, you know, there are two creation accounts in Genesis, but the first one that delineates the days for a very long time, that was considered an historical account, right? That it was a, an historical account of how things happened. Um, through a lot of different scholarship, I now read those first five books in particular, the story of who? not the story of how. It's the story of who created us and what that means for us, not necessarily the story of how. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think this side of heaven, I'll ever know the how, ever. Um, may not even then, depends on if the Lord wants to tell me. Um, but, but for a long time, that was how those accounts were read. Over time, however, we have had certain things that have happened that have changed um, how we view that, okay? So when we talk about the doctrine of uh, creation, one of the things that has changed it is kind of this rise of reading the Bible through a historical and critical lens. That is the idea that we read the Bible with the question in our mind for the people that this text was most immediately written for, what were they experiencing? How would they have heard it? 
what did it mean for them? Okay. So that the rise of that kind of way of reading the Bible has changed for us the way we have viewed creation. Another thing that has changed it was the Copernican revolution, because what was that about? That the, the uh, yes, that we, we're, we are sun-centric, right? That we rotate the sun as opposed to us being the center of the world, which honestly, I still believe. <laughs> oh, no, that's just me. Um, and everything else going around it, right? So that scientific discovery made all of those in our tradition think, well, does that have any sort of impact on what we believe? Okay. And so you start to see people asking questions in that respect. Darwin's evolutionary theory had an impact on how creation. Um, Einstein's theory of relativity. Every time we have these big shifts in science or in our world, you will see people looking again at creation and how we think it might have happened and thinking it through in that new lens. Probably the most recent is kind of like Big Bang cosmology. There's a lot of writing about how that might play into the story of creation and God's creation of all things. Um, and so in the confessions, we see big changes in, as far as how we interpret things with the first is the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, right? That there is nothing created that the Lord God did not cause to be created, okay? So that, that holds us for a long time. And then we get to the um, Protestant Reformation and John Calvin. And what we see in that is that um, Calvin is very clear that not only did God create all things, but that God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit continues to create. So think of it this way. Jesus Christ came into the world and created a new community of believers, right? That that was a creative act, that the body of Christ being called into being is further proof of God's creative work. In the same way, the Holy Spirit works in the world, creating newness, not necessarily new created beings, but new things in the life of the church and in the world. And so John Calvin wants to be very clear that it is the triune God who is creator and he connects it with providence. Do you know what providence is? Dag. Yeah. Providence is the idea that God created all things and that God still works for the good of God's creation, that in some way, God did not like create the world and then say, I'm done. Let's see what y'all do with it. That's not what we believe. We believe that God as spirit, as the word of Jesus Christ is in the world, working in the world on humanity's behalf to call goodness into this good creation. And so that's the other thing, actually in the second Helvetic confession, you have discussion of God as creator, and then right after that, it leads right into providence, okay? That those two things are connected. Providence is simply more of God's creation for God's people in the world. Does that make sense? All right. Um, providence is seen as a continuation of all creation. 
the confessions also link together the beauty of creation as a reflection of God's goodness. This is sometimes called natural theology. So for me, before I ever believed in Jesus Christ, when I was just struggling with the idea of God alone, I could believe in God because I'm from God's country, Western North Carolina. And those mountains are so beautiful and they give me so much peace and joy just to look at them. And I could not, for me, it made total sense that God created this beauty. And then that that beauty resonated with me, that had to be the work of something divine. That's called a natural theology. When you look at nature around you and you know that breathtaking feeling you have, that makes you immediately think of your creator, that's a natural theology. And so the early church reformers and in our confessions, you see this connection between looking at the goodness and beauty of the created earth and connecting that to the goodness and beauty of the creator God. Okay, so those two things are connected together. That also is a reflection of all of those changes like the Copernican revolution, um, all of those changes in science, they don't diminish God. They're actually further natural theology. To think of the ways that the universe works, to think of the diversity of life on our planet, to learn new things about it, it in no way negates God. It just further shows us the majesty and incredible power and love of God that we see. Um, there's also the idea of general revelation, which is like natural theology, except that it's the idea that, um, there are all those, there are places where we are connected to the divine because we've come into contact with some sort of creation. The best example of this, it doesn't have to do with nature, but like the first time I held my daughter, like the sheer awe. That is a general revelation, that idea of doing this really ordinary thing and being grabbed by the incredible beauty and sheer wonder of it. That also points us toward God, right? Only, only a loving God would give us such beauty, right? And, and such care. Um, and so we have to take seriously God's creation, over time, where we have landed is the belief that creation is a free act of God. God did not have to create. God was not compelled to create. It's a free act of God, born out of God's free love. And that we believe that act of creation was performed by God's voice, by the word of God, right? It says that God spoke creation into being. We also believe that the creation of the world and the creation of all time came from nothing, right? That it is creation from nothing. Um, and that it is solely through God's love and the speaking of God's word that creation came into being. Um, the other is that God's creation is very, very good. We see this over and over in the Bible. Every um, ending of the day in the first creation of story of Genesis ends, and it was very good. And so that means the creation of the world and also the creation of people that we are created to be very good 
that our creation is a very good thing. And then we also land on the idea that um, God continues to sustain and govern the created order. Now, there is um, this doctrine of creation, as you might expect, um, has kind of undergirded an ecological movement in the Christian church, right? The idea that um, God created the world and created it good. And it's actually John Calvin who says, and that creation is to be used only for God's glory, that we shouldn't consider it ours, that we, sh he says, I'm going to make sure I get this right. He says, we shouldn't hoard or abuse God's creation, that God's creation is to be used for God's glory. And so our care of the planet increasingly gets more discussion and is rooted in the idea of God's creation being good. We see the, the idea, though, that it is humanity that is God's good creation developed um, more throughout our confessions. And the idea is that God created humanity and we were created with choice and will. Okay? But everything that God created is good. But because of our own limited autonomy, we have chosen sin, right? That's, that's the, the, the story of the Garden of Eden, that we are a people who have chosen sin. John Calvin called sin an aberration, that it was not a part of what God intended for humanity. And so where you get is that if we believe that humanity is God's very good creation, then we also have to take seriously sin because it goes against God's very good creation. Does that make sense? All right. What questions do you have so far? Brett's like, you got to quit asking them questions. Make them talk amongst themselves. I'm like, who has time to think of that? <laughs> okay, your thought that everything comes from nothingness. Mm -hmm. Ex nihilo. Mm -hmm. The story of creation and chaos and then yeah so well first of all right we don't read that story as like an historical account of the way it was right um so when we read the earth was a form of formless void it's not necessarily because the earth was a formless void but because god was going to take this nothingness and make order and creation out of it. But the importance of saying God created out of nothing is to put all of the um, responsibility and credit to God. Yes. Um, in the same way, people who now think about the Big Bang cosmology, right? For Christians, we are still rooted in, in some way, God was the beginning of all of that right? That some way it is God's initiative and God's free love that starts us down this path of created beings. Does that make sense? So that, that statement, I think, is really more a statement, uh, a theological statement of who, reminding us always that this is all at God's initiative, not at ours. We did not will ourselves into being. What else?
All right. Um, there are a couple of things I wanted to read to you from the confessions. Um, it's interesting because in the earliest confessions, and I'm talking about not the earliest, come on, Tara, the confessions of the 15th, 16th century, there is talk of um, God's creation of humanity, of course, God's creation of the world, but God's creation also of angels and how evil comes into the world. And the idea is that angels are like superhumans. They're like just a step above humans. You know, they've got a special purpose from God, but they also have agency and choice and some chose to rebel. Okay. But listen to this from the second Helvetic confession. This would have been written in the 16th century. God created all things. This good and almighty God created all things, both visible and invisible. By his co-eternal word, meaning Jesus Christ. And we see that in John's gospel, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And preserves them by his co-eternal spirit. So in this confession in particular, the idea is that God and Christ were at the beginning with creation. And that the Holy Spirit comes in the world to preserve creation and work on creation's behalf in the world. We believe this as David testified when he said from the 33rd Psalm, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all of their host by the breath of his mouth. And as scripture says, everything that God had made was very good and made for the profit and use of man. Now we assert that all things proceed from one beginning. Remember how, I think I've told you this, all confessions are written to address a problem at that time. The problem at the time this was written is that you had the Manichaeans and the Marcionites who said, God is good, but there's also evil, and it is as powerful as God. That's what they said at this time, right? So you had this kind of like two different substances or beings in the world. And we in our reformed tradition say that God is always the one who is in charge of creation and has all of the power and that we see God's power also born out in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. How's that for splitting hairs? Um, among all creatures, angels and men are most excellent. I'm going to change that to women. I mean, you men have had it for years. I'm just going to change it for a while. Uh, concerning angels, the Holy Scripture says, and this is from Psalm 104, who makest the winds, thy messengers, fire and flame, thy ministers. Also, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who obtain salvation? This is the idea that what they are calling angels are actually God's spirit loose in the world, working in providential ways, working to sustain God's hum humanity that he created good. I think the idea of the Holy Spirit being providential and creative is important. Brett's going to talk to you about sin next week because he's really good at it. <laughs> um, but in the ways where we are able to turn from sin, I actually believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
It is the Holy Spirit giving us either the initiative or the courage or the knowledge to turn from sin. Um, And so that idea of God's providence and the Holy Spirit will be really important when he talks to you about the reality of sin in our lives. Um, Concerning the devil, the Lord testifies himself. And this is from the eighth chapter of John. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Consequently, we teach, again, 16th century, that some angels persisted in obedience and they were appointed to faithful service for God and men. But others, of their own free will, they chose destruction and they became enemies of all that was good and faithful. What do you make of the problem of evil in the world? I'll wait. <laughs> yes. So, following the Holy Spirit, angels kind of like emissaries of the Holy Spirit. Yes, messengers and carriers. Yes. Mm-hmm. That they also had choice and agency and they chose destruction. No, I think the character of the Holy Spirit, because it is of God, can never be changed. And so those angels can either work with the Holy Spirit or not. It's just like what we think about humanity, right? Except with wings and a harp. It's like us with wings and a harp. Uh, We can either work within what God has called us to be, working for the good creation, or not. You know, I know this is too simplistic, but I always think that the Holy Spirit is, you know, that the evil spirit versus the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God for God, and the evil spirit is for me and for my self-gratification and for my self-interest. Yeah. I know that's incredibly simple, but I do think that it explains a lot. I'm on board with that. Here's my conception of evil. And I will tell you that my grandmother once asked me what I learned about Satan in seminary. And I was like, we didn't talk about him. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe once in the Old Testament, I didn't learn a whole lot about the devil. Um, I think that the Devil is a way of talking about evil that we see in the world. It's a personification. Um, And just like there have been different um, things that have happened in society that impact our theology, for me, I do believe that all evil proceeds from a concern for self, right? And that sinfulness is always when I put my desires ahead of others and in a way that hurts others, right? Um, You know, it is sinful for me um, to want to buy all the books so that I can be smart and never seem like I'm not. It's sinful because I'm not relying on God, right? And who God has called me to be. I I have a real addiction, right, to knowledge. I want to know more. I just got to know more. 
But at some point, I'm using that more to prop myself up instead of reliance upon God. And I think we all know that there comes a time where knowledge gives us nothing in the face of tragedy and heartbreak and those sorts of things. Um, but it is truly evil when I let my concern for me and my ability to get more or learn more when it impacts other people. That's when I think evil is let loose in the world. So I'm right with you in that conception of evil. And I don't think it, I don't think it runs counter to anything we would find in the confessions. The question for me always though, is that, but did God who created everything create evil? That's a tough one, right? And I think where I land on that is that God created out of God's freedom and God created us with freedom. And because of that, we were able to choose darkness over light. What does it say in John's gospel? Um, people don't come to the light because they know their deeds are evil. Um, I think, I think there've been times when I've chosen to stay in the dark. So I think maybe evil is a consequence of our created autonomy. Again. So let me go back to the question you asked a few summaries ago. Do we believe in free will or predestination? Uh-huh. I'm still a predestination girl. Um, we have the free will to choose evil. Well, I think I do, okay. right? Predestination says that God knows what I will choose, right? And that God has in some way ordained certain things to happen. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I think for me, I've just reached the point where like, you know, there's a thing called systematic theology where you try to explain every part and how they interact. I will never be a systematic theologian. A, I'm not smart enough. B, I think things run counter to each other and I'm okay with that mystery. I firmly believe that God created the world and that God knows what God's creation will do and I am called without that knowledge to choose the way of the holy over and over again. Yes. Um, no. So, um, if we have free will and agency actively choose sin or evil, mm -hmm. um, where is this um, theological school set on the idea of us being able to actively choose? Or to choose God, or to choose to lean in towards salvation, or is that we have the same agency over that, or is that? So, I don't know what Brett will say next week, <laughs> but we believe that at humanity's core, we have been warped by sin, and that if we choose good, which we try to do, it's because we've opened ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and allow God's spirit to work in our life. I think where that lands for us in the Reformed tradition loosely is that um, I am sinful, and yet the Holy Spirit has allowed me to live towards God in a way that I could not do on my own. Because I think at the heart of the tradition is always that the, um, the goodness and it, it rests with God. And if we are able to do good, it's because we've in some way opened ourselves up 
to allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, whenever we talk about theology, we're talking these really general terms, right? Let me tell you how I struggle with this interpersonally as both a, a sibling and as a mother. Um, my younger brother and I were um, really chaotic upbringing, but we were together um, most all the time. My older brother has a different dad, but Travis and I had the same life for the first 13 or 14 years of our lives. He has had a markedly different life marked by drug addiction and alcoholism and all those things. And I think, well, we had the same experiences. How is this possible? I feel a lot of guilt. But at some point, I allowed the Holy Spirit, I think, to work through me and made some modest, better choices that had a greater impact. Um, If I want to be real cynical, I can say that for some reason, God chose to work out God's purposes in my life, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know those answers. We've, we've hit the wall of uh, my ability to kind of break these things down. I actually don't think the confessions are systematic. Anyone who's read them, um, you can find lots of, well, how and why, and how does it make sense in this way? But I know that in our tradition, When we do good, we credit that to God. We credit that to God because for most of us left to our own devices, put in desperate situations, we will make the wrong choice. That our instinct for survival or for, uh, you know, whatever, it can lead us to make some very bad choices. Yeah, no, who knows? Yes. Are you, you're my favorite person. I'm the only person talking to you two are getting all the awards. Mm-hmm. Um, you find that um, over the course of your profession, You know, that's an interesting question, because if you look at the whole of our confessions in the church, none of them negate science. They take seriously the Copernican revolution, right? They take seriously what we've discovered about the universe. Nowhere in the confessions do we see a rebuttal to science. Um, You know, I think what you are talking about in a lot of ways is um, the death of respect for expertise. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I think there's been uh, a a kind of a a dying of our um, respect as a society for expertise. Um, And so then the science doesn't mean anything right? If we don't respect the expertise and what it brings us. But, you know, if, if, you know, I I always ask people, what are your deal breakers, 
right? So if someone comes to me tomorrow and says, the Virgin Mary, not a virgin, I'm fine. It changes nothing for me. Um, if somehow you could conclusively disprove the resurrection, that's going to be, that's going to shake me because I believe in it wholeheartedly. I can't imagine how they would do that, but that, so I think the idea is to find out kind of what your deal breakers are. Um, it's not a deal breaker for me to not have every aspect of the mind of God explained. I don't even think it's possible. Um, but I don't know. Does that answer your question just a little bit? Yeah, actually, I, I believe you were redefined science in the first. I think science is really a continuation of question. Yeah. And I think certain modern science is a little bit more Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't think I'm quite there. I think that whenever science does its best, when you have people of faith, people not of faith, who are learning and discovering as best as they can, um, I will trust in that. And I will, I will operate on that assumption until it's proven otherwise, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's tough. Those are hard questions. Yes. I really think that earlier about the reading of Christian story as more of a figuring out how. Would you, in the context of what you're bringing, who would bring the is it a guess that they would have viewed it the same way, or is there a different yes. intention? No, I think if you go back and look at those preliterate, right, the preliterate peoples, um, they told those stories not necessarily to understand how everything happened, but to remind them that when the world is dark and it feels like it's full of chaos, that we have a loving God who brings order who separates the waters and that sort of thing. So no, I think uh, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to diminish it in any way, but um, there are stories we tell in our family and they're fun to tell, but we tell them because they remind us that like Ryan has had a heart for homeless people since the first time we took her to a homeless shelter at four, right? And so we tell the story about how when they were interviewing to be let into uh, this prize school in second grade, she was like, I'm going to be in the WNBA and have a homeless shelter. And we're like, we all laugh because that's a silly thing to say, but we tell that story because it tells us about Ryan's heart that I still see on see inside of her at 15. I think when we are scared and sitting around the fire in preliterate times, wanting warmth and care, we tell the story that God created all of us and God created it good. So there's an idea in literary criticism that something that is a myth means it, that doesn't mean it isn't true and it doesn't mean it isn't useful. It's a story we tell that gets us to the truth. What else? Uh huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
That's when I think it helps to look at um, to look at the arc of all creation, right? Um, not so long ago, I would not have been allowed to speak in front of you, let alone serve Holy Communion, right? And it's painful, and there's still all sorts of injustice, but there's this arc. Uh, I think of it in the same way that I come to those places where it seems dark. For me, as a parent of teenagers, sometimes I'm like, one wrong choice, and their lives are going to go down this path that terrifies me. And the only thing I can do then is to remember God's goodness and put them back in God's care. And it's not a guarantee, but it is a promise of God's love and care. So I know that I think life is always going to be chaotic, this side of the eschaton, because we are in it, running things. So. And if you think chaos is bad with humans in charge, imagine the opposite. Imagine order with humans in charge. Yeah, that wouldn't be good either, would it? Mm-mm. No, we would order. We have ordered things poorly at different times. <laughs> um, I think what I, what time is it? Oh, okay. Um, do I want to read you that? Who could say? I think what I want to land on then is um, after the Westminster of Confession of Faith, this is all in our book of confession. Um, if you want a book of confession, email me and I'll have one for you or I'll give it to Brett since I'm going to be gone. Um, but after the Westminster Confession of Faith, a what was called a, a catechism, a larger catechism was written. And that is a question and answer format. Um, and so it is a way of kind of trying to put into words what we have summed up in the creeds. The larger catechism is very large. The smaller one is not. There is also a catechism that was written in the late 80s strictly for children, and it's right up my alley. Like to have a bunch of theologians think of what is the simplest way to say this is beautiful. And actually, I'm just going to email that to you anyway because it's good. Uh, but from the larger catechism the question is how did god create man after god had made all other creatures i meant to say this um our tradition in the doctrine of creation is that all other creatures are created for humankind right that they're created created either for companionship or to help with the land or blah 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 but the idea is that there is God, there is humanity, and other creatures are under the dominion of humanity. It may sound great until you realize that dominion also means responsibility. Um, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, formed the body of the man, of the dust of the ground, and the woman of the rib of man. God gave them living, reasonable, and immortal souls made them after God's own image, in knowledge, righteous and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it with dominion over the creatures, yet they were subject to the fall. The idea that we are created 
for goodness and to bring more goodness into the world. I think it's something we have to take seriously. I also think in the Christian tradition, you know, Henry Nouwen in the 20th century talked about how we were all wounded, right? That we were these, um, we've all been wounded in some way and we are living out God's purposes as best we can. And it's that verse, right? That um, I'm not going to remember where it's from, um, but it is the verse that um, we have this treasure in clay vessels. Okay, so Henry Nouwen would say, we're clay vessels, we're fragile, we're doing the best we can. Our theology says, yeah, but you have a treasure. You've got a treasure. You have the ability to do good things in the world. And yeah, your vessel's been, you know, knocked around a bit and we've all had terrible experiences, but never forget what you were created for. And once you take seriously that you are created for good in the world and to glorify God, then you have to start taking sin seriously. And then right after that is what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Any thoughts there? I mean, we covered angels, demons, people. Just I'm telling you. So um, next Saturday, I head to Dallas. And Brett will be here with you next week to tell you all about sin. Um, And then the week after that, he talks about redemption, I think. And then I will come in. And our last one is about you, the church, and what we're supposed to be in the world. And then we can decide if we want to tackle another subject and keep going or if you want to do your own thing. So be thinking about that. Um, All right. Anything for the good of the church? As always, it is such a joy. I have um, I told Brett that I want to always be teaching because it keeps me thinking and learning. And the more I think and learn, the closer to God I feel. Right. Because this week I got to sit down. And think about God's goodness and God's love and God's creation. And that's way better than looking at a spreadsheet. (laughs) All right, y'all go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.